Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. During a service at an old church, when a particular prayer was said, half the congregation stood up and half of them remained seated. The half that was seated started yelling at those standing to sit down, and the ones standing yelled at the ones sitting to stand up. The new pastor, learned as he was in word and doctrine, didn't know what to do. His congregation suggested that he consult a housebound 98-year-old man who was one of the original founders of the church. The pastor hoped the elderly man would be able to help tell him what the actual tradition was. So he went to his home with a representative of each faction of the congregation. The one whose followers stood during the prayer asked the old man, Is the tradition to stand during the prayer? And the old man answered, No. That is not the tradition. The one whose followers sat said, Then the tradition is to sit. And the old man answered, No, that is not the tradition. Then the pastor said to the old man, But the congregants fight all the time, yelling at each other about whether they should stand or sit. And the old man interrupted and said, That's the tradition. Tradition in life can be a good thing. Every family has family traditions that become important and special. My youngest son is a stickler for our family traditions and makes sure that we keep them, especially our holiday traditions. But when it comes to the interpretation of God's Word, tradition and traditional teachings can be a problem. Because tradition is hard to break off from. Tradition is comfortable. Tradition is easy. And to follow tradition is to follow the course of least resistance. But tradition can rob us of truth. The Lord warned the Pharisees and the scribes about making the word of God of none effect through your tradition. The Apostle Paul warned the church, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men. What does the Scripture say? That is always what's most important. In our next couple episodes, we're going to examine Acts chapter 2 in light of the authority of Scripture and rightly dividing the word of truth. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4 say, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In Leviticus chapter 23, God detailed seven feasts that Israel was to observe under the law. Leviticus 23, 1 and 2 reads, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, 
and say unto them concerning the feasts of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim, to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. The seven feasts in their sequential order were Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, weeks, trumpets, the day of atonement, and tabernacles or booths. The first three feasts of Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits were to be observed together at the beginning of the Jewish calendar and basically constituted one giant feast. The last three of Trumpet, Day of Atonement, and Tabernacles were also observed together later in the autumn of the year. The one in the middle, the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, stood alone. Of the seven feasts, three were decreed by God as solemn feasts, during which all Israelite men were obligated to present themselves before the Lord. Deuteronomy 16.16, three times in a year shall all thy males appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and in the Feast of Weeks, and in the Feast of Tabernacles. After the temple was built in Jerusalem, this required all Jewish men to make three journeys each year to Jerusalem at the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. The seven feasts reveal a special and beautiful story about Jesus Christ. The final three feasts, Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and Tabernacles, look forward, respectively, to Israel's hope of the second coming of Christ, Israel's national conversion, and the kingdom reign of her Messiah. But the first four teach us about Christ's finished work and the coming of the Holy Spirit to Israel. The first feast of Passover was a one-day feast which pictured the death of Christ, the Lamb of God. Christ was actually crucified on the feast of Passover. The death of the Passover lamb in Israel's past had redeemed her and delivered her from her bondage in Egypt. Christ's death was the fulfillment of that feast. He is the Passover lamb. He is the one that shed his blood, which resulted in redemption and freedom from bondage to sin. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was a seven-day feast, which began on the day immediately after Passover. Its number of seven was a perfect period of time according to the Bible. It pointed to the outcome of Christ, the Passover lamb, being sacrificed and the blessing that resulted for the people of God. Leaven is a picture of sin. Unleavened bread speaks of sin being taken away by the cross. And by that perfect number of seven, It refers to the continuance of this blessing forever and ever. Christ, the bread of life, when he was buried, he was in the tomb on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was fulfilled in Christ's burial, which pictures how Christ paid the full penalty for sin by his cross and the deliverance of believers when their sins are taken away. The Feast of Firstfruits took place during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of Firstfruits was based on the agricultural season in Israel. Barley was grown as a winter crop 
and began to mature for the spring harvest. The Feast of First Fruits marked the beginning of the harvest of the spring barley, and Christ rose again on the third day, and he rose on the Feast of First Fruits. His resurrection was the fulfillment of that feast and of the new life of the spring harvest. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15.20, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. His resurrection as the firstfruits represents the great harvest of people who will one day be raised to eternal life in the future. Next comes the Feast of Weeks, which is the same as the day of Pentecost. Deuteronomy 16.10 instructed Israel, And thou shalt keep the feast of weeks unto the Lord thy God with a tribute of freewill offering of thine hand. It was called the feast of weeks because seven weeks were counted from the feast of firstfruits until observing this feast. Then after the seven weeks, or 49 days, had passed and were accomplished, on the 50th day, the Feast of Weeks was observed. And the word Pentecost in the Greek means 50th, because this feast day was observed on the 50th day after the Feast of Firstfruits. Like the Feast of Firstfruits, the Feast of Weeks was based on the agricultural season in Israel. It fell in early summer each year, late May or early June. The Feast of Weeks celebrated the completion of the spring harvest and marked the beginning of the harvest of the summer wheat for Israel. Exodus 34:22 says, And thou shalt observe the Feast of Weeks of the firstfruits of wheat harvest. This festival was the official beginning of the summer harvest season. It was a harvest festival in which Israel expressed her dependence on God and gave thanksgiving to him for the harvest and for her daily bread. Being one of the required annual feasts to appear before the Lord, from every part of the country and from all over the world, Jews and converts to Judaism would stream to and fill Jerusalem for this feast day. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. Acts, Dispensationally Considered, Volume 2, is a hardcover, 472-page commentary written by Pastor Cornelius R. Stan and covers Acts 1536 through 2831. Far more than an inspired storybook, Acts presents a clear line of teaching and explains why the fulfillment of prophecy was interrupted some 19 centuries ago to make way for the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. It fits perfectly between the four records of our Lord's earthly ministry and the epistles of Paul. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, 
Call 262-255-4750 or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. The instructions from the Lord for the feast day included the sacrifice of lambs, bullocks, and rams, as well as the presentation of two wave loaves baked with leaven. Leviticus 23.17 reads, Ye shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two-tenth deals. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be bacon with leaven. They are the firstfruits unto the Lord. These loaves were two long, flat, leavened loaves of wheat bread, baked from the wheat of the new harvest, which had just been gathered in. Again, leaven is a picture of sin. For the Feast of Weeks, the two wave loaves were symbolic of Israel, in whom there is the leaven of sin, because Israel and all people are sinners. On this feast day, these loaves of bread were waved before the altar by the priest. He would wave them before the altar forwards and backwards, and then up and down before the altar. After Christ rose again on the Feast of Firstfruits, Acts 1-3 teaches that the Lord showed Himself alive after His passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days. The sending of the Holy Spirit to Israel took place on the Jewish holy day of the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, which took place ten days after Christ ascended to heaven. By Christ sending the Holy Spirit at the Feast of Weeks, or on the day of Pentecost, it showed that the coming of the Holy Spirit was the fulfillment of this feast for Israel. So when Acts 2.1 says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, it refers to this day being fully come as the fulfillment of the prophecies concerning the coming of the Holy Spirit and the great antitype or fulfillment of the yearly feast of Pentecost. Passover, unleavened bread, and the Feast of Firstfruits found their fulfillment in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Feast of Weeks found its fulfillment with the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Being a harvest feast, we learn how it was a picture of the harvest of souls in Israel receiving the Holy Spirit under the terms of the New Covenant. And Leviticus teaches that these, lo- these two wave loaves were the firstfruits unto the Lord. Being firstfruits unto the Lord, the Jews at Pentecost who received the Holy Spirit were the firstfruits of all in Israel, who in the future will have the Spirit in them within Christ's millennial kingdom on the earth. In that future day, being Firstfruits of earthly kingdom believers with the Spirit in them, they will do the very things that you find in Acts 2, having all things common and speaking in tongues and known languages of people around the world. And the, the Feast of Weeks is also called the Feast of Ingathering. And we find that fulfillment in the fact that people will be gathered into Christ's millennial kingdom one day. The point I want to make clear in this message concerning Acts chapter 2 is that Pentecost was a Jewish feast day in the fulfillment of its type for Israel. 
It was one of the annual Jewish feast days under the law. Acts chapter 2 needs to be interpreted in light of prophecy and God's program with Israel. The coming of the Holy Spirit was a prophesied event for Israel, prophesied both in the Old Testament and in the Gospel records. John the Baptist, the prophet, prophesied, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost, at Pentecost, that is, and with fire, that is, in the tribulation. Isaiah the prophet prophesied, Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant in Israel, whom I have chosen, for I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed, and my blessing upon thine offspring. Everything that happened at Pentecost was in direct fulfillment of prophecy. And that is why Peter, in his sermon on the day of Pentecost, told the Jews, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. In his sermon, Peter pointed out prophecies from David that have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Not long after the day of Pentecost, Peter said in Acts 3.24, Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel, and those that follow after, as many as have spoken have likewise foretold of these days. And these days include Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, is about the fulfillment of prophecy. It is not about the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, which Paul made known. The Holy Spirit was supposed to be poured out on God's people Israel in preparation for the kingdom of God being established on the earth. Remember that Christ taught his apostles the night before his crucifixion, Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Israel's old covenant, the Mosaic law, was initiated and established with the shed blood of a sacrifice. Israel's New Testament, or the New Covenant, was initiated and established with blood as well, by the shed blood of Christ at the cross. The New Covenant was promised to the nation of Israel, and it contains both physical and spiritual blessings. One of the spiritual blessings of the new covenant for Israel was the indwelling Holy Spirit. The Lord told Israel in Ezekiel 36, 27, that one of the blessings of the, of the new covenant was, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. The New Testament was established at the cross, and the blessing of God putting His Spirit in believing Israel transpired at Pentecost in accordance with the New Covenant. This caused them to walk in God's statutes, and as a result, to have all things common. 
Part of the Feast of Pentecost, again, was the presentation and waving of the two loaves of bread before the altar in the temple. And it is commonly taught that the two wave loaves of the day of Pentecost represent Jew and Gentile in the church, the body of Christ. But when we rightly divide the word of truth and we strictly interpret this chapter in light of God's program with Israel and prophecy and with the law of Moses, you find that these two wave loaves represented Israel. The Feast of Weeks foreshadowed the day when the Spirit would be poured out upon Israel in accordance with the blessings of the New Covenant. And Jeremiah 31, 31 says, Behold, the days, of, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with, one, the house of Israel, and two, with the house of Judah. Those two loaves represented the two houses in Israel, the house of Israel and the house of Judah. The two loaves looked forward to the day when the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah would unite as one in Christ's earthly millennial kingdom. In that day, God says in Ezekiel 37, 22, I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all, and they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. The church, the body of Christ, is not made up of two separate loaves of Jew and Gentile. Instead, the Apostle Paul tells us, for we being many are one bread, in one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. The body of Christ is one bread, one loaf, with Jew and Gentile becoming one in Christ. He is that one bread. The one bread is composed of many separate grains of wheat, but as Romans 12.5 says, we being many are one body in Christ. We don't learn about Jew and Gentile in one body until the Apostle Paul. To make those two loaves on the day of Pentecost represent Jew and Gentile in the church is to anticipate revelation that had not yet been given at this time. To follow that Acts 2 is the beginning of the church creates problems with interpreting Scripture and with what the church is to do today. And it can logically lead the church back into attempting to recreate the signs and wonders and tongues that were clearly part of the coming of the Holy Spirit on that day. It, to say Acts 2 is the beginning of the church places us back under the law, under the feast days, when we are under grace. It can lead us to follow Peter instead of Paul. And this in turn has led to a message proclaimed by the church of Judaism and the law mixed with true Christianity in the message of grace. And you have this mixed message. Pentecost was a day when prophecy for Israel was being fulfilled. But under grace, in this previously hidden age, there is no prophecy for Israel being fulfilled today. 
The prophets of Israel most assuredly saw the coming of the Holy Spirit to Israel, which was fulfilled in Acts 2. But no prophet saw the dispensation of the grace of God or the church, the body of Christ. In reference to the church and in reference to the dispensation of grace, Paul wrote in Colossians 1.26 that this was hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. To say that Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of the body of Christ is a problem because nowhere in the chapter do you find the words body of Christ. Instead, what you read is ye men of Israel. And you read about Israel. The body of Christ is read into the chapter. The church, the body of Christ is not found in your Bible until the letters of Paul written much later. Further, saying that Pentecost is the beginning of the church confuses the gospel because Peter clearly told Israel to repent of crucifying their Messiah and to be water baptized for the remission of sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul teaches, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He teaches that salvation is by grace through faith, not of works. In Acts 2, Israel had not yet been set aside in unbelief. God was still working through His chosen people to be His channel of blessing to the world. He was offering her the kingdom. He was giving them another opportunity to accept Jesus as her Messiah. The Spirit coming upon Israel at Pentecost was not about starting a new church Instead, it was about empowering the 12 apostles, the 120 in the upper room, the existing kingdom church, and the many who were saved on the day of Pentecost to be witnesses to Christ's resurrection and to reach the world with the gospel of the kingdom according to the Great Commission. Christ told the apostles in Acts 1.8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come, come upon you, in order that they would be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So what happened in Acts 2? Acts 2 is the Feast of Weeks under the law and its fulfillment. Acts 2 is the coming of the Holy Spirit to Israel in fulfillment of prophecy made to Israel. Acts 2 is the fulfillment of Christ's words that He would not leave the apostles comfortless and that the Father would send another comforter to them. Acts chapter 2 is the continuation of Israel's prophetic program and the building up of the little flock, the believing remnant in Israel and the kingdom church. Tradition, though, teaches that this is the birthday of the church, the body of Christ. But what do the scriptures say? The spirit of being a Berean is to receive the word with all readiness of mind and to search the scriptures whether those things be so. Don't take my word for it. Go to the word of God and see if these things we've shared with you are so. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. 
The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.